Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Gods and Lies, Season 2, Episode 3. It was midnight by the time we made it back to Nexos and my apartment, and on top of my bruises and scrapes, I also had a massive crick in my neck from craning to see past the web of cracks the Grimmer had inflicted on my windshield. Grimmers are bad news. They didn't question or investigate. They didn't look for proof or follow procedure. They followed the pointed fingers and hunted for the scent of guilt. And until we could prove otherwise, Andy and I were guilty. I parked the car, and the two of us hiked up the three flights of stairs to my apartment in almost total silence. Andy didn't have to ask to sleep over, and I didn't have to offer. There was no point. We had three sunrises left, and nothing could be accomplished stumbling around the dark Nexo streets. I'll pay you back for the windshield. Andy said woodenly, as he unzipped my sleeping bag and spread it out on my couch. He stared at it for a moment, as if remembering the last time he'd almost slept over, the last case we'd worked on together, before he'd been dragged under the ocean and imprisoned on an island. Once all this is over. It was a small, withered display of optimism, but I accepted it all the same. There was no point in considering the alternative. I'll hold you to that. But for now, get some sleep. I wasn't all that great at following my own advice. By the time my alarm rang at 6am, I doubted I'd closed my eyes for more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time. One sunrise down, two to go. I dragged myself out of bed and staggered to the kitchen to see Andy at my stove, chopping my mushrooms while a pad of my butter slowly melted in a pan. He was wearing his sleeping bag, wait, my sleeping bag, zipped around his waist like a ridiculous puffy kilt. What are you doing? I'm making breakfast, he said. He threw the mushrooms into the pan, then dusted them with a bit of garlic powder. How the hell did he know his way around my kitchen already? 
What's a game plan? I gave myself a shake before sitting down at the kitchen table. Maybe I was still asleep and stuck in a really weird dream. And he played a starring role in those more than I cared to admit. We should hit up the Temple of Revels. See if we can get an audience with Celebina. Get some statements about what happened at the Golden Gala. Sounds good. He slid a plate of scrambled eggs and sautéed mushrooms in front of me like the finishing move of a magic trick. Can I make a suggestion? With my mouth full of scrambled eggs, I couldn't refuse in time. We might want to be sneaky about this. Time being short and all. I swallowed. That's all the more reason we need to handle this directly. Yeah, except... Celebina and Themia aren't on the best terms. Revels and rules don't really mix. And do you think some cloak-and-dagger nonsense will... I nearly knocked over the glass of orange juice Andy set by my left hand, and something snapped. For the love of the three mothers, can you stop messing around in my kitchen? He wilted. I'm trying to help. This is serious, Andy. We have two sunrises left. And I don't want to spend those three days with you mad at me. His shoulders slumped. I know mushrooms aren't going to cut it. I just don't like not doing anything. I swallowed the last of the admittedly delicious mushrooms and sighed. I'm not mad anymore. At least not at you. But we've got to work together on this. Then let me help with the plan. I've been to Celebina's temple dozens of times. Okay, fine. We'll try your backdoor idea. What do we need to do? As it happened, Andy's backdoor plan literally involved a backdoor. The Temple of Revel's service entrance was a shade more modest than the elaborate public portico, but I still had to squint against the glaring sunlight reflecting off the acres of gilt paint, glass, and precious gems embedded in every buttress and column. A subtle goddess, Celebina was not. A fleet of caterers' vans was parked in front of the entrance, and employees wearing crisp white and red uniforms and ridiculous pillbox hats filtered in and out of the temple like industrious ants. How did you know there were going to be caterers? Andy smirked. Selimbina is the goddess of parties. There are always caterers going in and out, or florists, or exotic animal handlers. I guess I was lucky today was a catering day. I shrunk my blessed oak to the size of a matchstick and tucked it under my tongue. All right, Andy. This is your part of the plan. Andy marched right up to the manager, the only visible employee permitted to forego the pillbox hat in favor of ticking things off a clipboard. Sorry we're late, Andy said. Do I know you? She barely glanced up from her clipboard, but somehow that was enough to dismiss us. We're the relief staff, Andy hedged. My blessed oak buzzed inside my mouth, and I nearly bit my tongue. Well, that answered the question of whether or not Andy could set off my oak. I didn't order relief staff. The demigod didn't miss a beat. Someone did. With everything Celebina's planned, you think you can manage it understaffed? 
The manager sighed and lowered her clipboard with the air of a spoiled child forced to turn off the TV in favor of homework. You guys didn't even bring your uniforms? We were last minute, Andy said. We were told to collect them on site. I sneezed. The buzzing in my mouth was almost too much at this point. The manager glared at me. You better not be sick if you're handling foodstuffs. Go to the van and grab uniforms that fit and make it snappy. Five minutes later, Andy and I strolled into the Temple of Revels. Well, waddled would have been more accurate. As newcomers who weren't part of the manager's regular crew, we were punished with the task of carrying the cake inside. The cake deserved each one of its capital letters. It was four tiers high, drizzled with chocolate and CBD-infused fondant, with intricate marzipan warriors reenacting some famous skirmish across a chocolate buttercream battlefield. And it was heavy as all the hells. But that was the easy part. We were told to bring the cake to the kitchen. What we were not told was that the Temple of Revels boasted seven kitchens, each located in a separate wing of the temple to prevent, as one priest put it, unwanted flavor mingling. And none of the Revel priests awake at this hour of the morning could agree on which kitchen it belonged in. This is chaos, I panted, as Andy and I crab-walked the cake toward the third kitchen after being turned away by the first two. Have you ever heard of an orderly revel? By now, even Andy's scales were gleaming with sweat. Right, that's it. I slid to a halt, and the cake wobbled dangerously as Andy almost continued without me. What are you doing? Andy said. In case you haven't noticed, we're not actually caterers. This whole getup was to get inside. Now we're inside. Let's leave this damn thing for someone else to deal with. I glanced around me to look for a likely place. We'd descended to one of the lower administrative levels of the temple at this point, a narrow, beige-painted hallway. I didn't want to leave the cake on the ground, but we had little time and few options. Follow my lead. Balancing my half of the platter in one trembling hand, I used the other to pull open the nearest door, and hundreds of bright balloons poured out. I shouldn't have been surprised. On our way to the first two kitchens, we'd passed a turntable room, a billiard supply room, and what looked like a fully stocked chemistry lab complete with portable burners, beakers, and rubber tubing. Screw this, I said. I'm putting this down. Where? Andy demanded, tucking the cake plate closer. Balloons continued to tumble out of the room in a rainbow avalanche, flooding the corridor with squeaking rubber. Just clear some space! I kicked out wildly, and as I did so, the cake plate slid out of my sweat-slick grip. I watched what happened next as if in slow motion. Andy lunged forward under the sudden weight of the entire dessert. The plate dipped dramatically, and all four of the cake's glorious tears tilted teetered, tumbled off to fatally collide with the unforgiving linoleum and restless balloons. For one second, 
All Andy and I could do was gape at the destroyed cake in horror. For the next second, I considered stepping outside and letting a flock of grimmers take me. By the third second, a passing revel priest heard the commotion, and her horrified shriek woke the rest of the priesthood. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Within moments, a squad of revel priests, some still bearing the raccoon-eyed, bleary look of hungover people woken up far too early, forcefully escorted Andy and me to Salabina's inner shrine. The high altar of Salabina, sculpted from pink marble and quartz, sat upon a stone bridge suspended above a pool of sparkling rosé. Golden fountains in the shape of peacocks, her sacred bird, Perched at each compass point, jets of wine shooting from their golden beaks. Colorful paper lanterns floated through the air, although I couldn't see what directed them. 
However, when a wall behind the wine pond hissed open, the goddess that stepped out wasn't Celebina. Thin and wan, she stood at a conservative seven feet tall, with amber hair flowing down her back in a loose braid. She wore robes that looked both soothing and drab. Soft, flowing cotton in somber creams and grays flowing down to the ground. Her eyes were hidden behind a pair of round, gold-rimmed sunglasses. The sunglasses were the tip-off. I bowed from the waist. Elbada, I take solace in your mercy. The words came to me automatically. I wasn't too proud to admit I'd prayed to her a time or two on weekend mornings when the sun seemed to stab like a knife. Elbada, the gray daughter of Salabina. If Celebina was a lavish meal, Elbada was the bill at the end of the night. Regret was her aspect, along with forgetfulness, consequence, and terrible hangovers. As a goddess, she was well-known, but not exactly beloved. Or at least not beloved enough to have a temple of her own. She shared one with her mother, because where one went, the other naturally followed. She nodded at my obeisance, her face a chilly blank. You honor me, so I'll make this quick. Who are you and why have you invaded my mother's temple? My name is Justix Iris Tharo. I serve justice on behalf of Themia, Huntress of Justice. This is Andymion Ariki. Beside me, Andy took a knee as well. The Sea Mother's son? A muffled exclamation echoed in the shrine, and I noticed the man standing at Albada's side for the first time. He was easy to miss. With his ash-gray robes and shaven head, he almost blended in with the goddess. Albada tilted her sunglasses up a fraction, revealing a pair of champagne-colored eyes. Why, Father Liam, you're right. I almost didn't recognize him without the constant whiff of his mother's disapproval eddying about. She gave Andy a tight-lipped smile. You'll have to forgive my high priest. In his diligence to my service, he can't always keep abreast of the pantheon gossip. Aren't you supposed to be in prison, child? Early release, Andy quipped. Good behavior. I very much doubt that. I cleared my throat. Well, we're here because we would like to ask you and your mother about the events that occurred... The goddess let her sunglasses fall back over her eyes. You misunderstand. You invaded my mother's temple under false pretenses and defiled a cake intended for her festivities. I am not here to answer questions. I'm here to meet out punishment. Desecrating a goddess's holy services is a grave charge. Andy choked out, Wait! But before Elbada could continue, an enormous bubble swelled within the pool of rosé, bigger and bigger and bigger, before it popped in a sparkling spray to reveal the goddess inside. The cake! Did you see what they did to my cake, my darling? Celebina filled the shrine like a hot beam of sun unexpectedly parting the clouds. Larger than life in nearly all ways, she towered over everyone else. 
She was a goddess of abundance and decadence, of rolls and curves. Her rich brown skin gleamed in the lantern light, and her hair flowed down her back as freely as a dark river of wine. Jewels glittered at her wrists and earlobes, and she was wearing a magnificent gown that appeared to be composed entirely out of coins roped together on a web of gold chains. She carried a well-cosseted peacock under one arm. I'm already handling it, Elbada began, but her mother swept that aside like brushing a fly. Nonsense. It was my cake they defiled. I'll be handling this personally. She jabbed an imperious finger at Father Liam. Go on, priest. I shall need restraints, glasses, some of those little cocktail olives. Father Liam is my priest, Elbada said. You can't simply order him around. Oh, fine, if you're going to be grumpy. Salabina clapped her hands with a sound of two enormous corks popping, and a troop of revel priests rushed into the shrine. Restrain the prisoners, fetch some decent charcuterie, and pick up some of those spicy cheeses from Pink's. Pink's is closed today, one of her revel priests squeaked. Not when you show them this. Salabina plucked a shining golden feather from the tail of her peacock and handed it to her priest. This represents my will. If Pinks wants my business, they'll do as I say. Now go. A pair of the priest's burlier co-workers grabbed Andy and forced him down into a wicker chair. I thought about spitting my blessed oak out of my mouth, growing it into a quarterstaff, fighting our way out. But a glance around the room quickly established how outnumbered, outgunned, and outclassed I was. I couldn't challenge Celebina in her own temple, especially after we had unlawfully infiltrated it. With a sigh, I allowed myself to be handcuffed to a chair, even as I tried to keep the situation on track. I know we aren't supposed to be here, but we needed to ask your gracious holiness some vital questions. The goddess smirked. What a coincidence. I have questions too. Let's just talk this out. Andy said, flexing against his cuffs. Despite being pink and fuzzy, they looked solid enough. Oh, I'm planning on it. Once we... The goddess dipped a hand into the pool of rosé. Oh no, that won't do. With a wave of her hand, the pool shimmered and lightened to something bright, cool, and bubbly. Elbada's face twitched into a momentary, weary grimace but she obediently had her servant fetch a pitcher of the new vintage. Somehow, the tone in the shrine had changed completely, and I was having trouble keeping up. As Elbada passed her the pitcher of wine, Celebina herself sat down upon the cushioned floor, crossing her legs in a deceptively casual posture. Are you going to torture us? Andy asked, his voice cracking slightly. Celebina leaned down, bringing her gold coin spangled bodice alarmingly close to Andy's face. Oh no, Andemion. We're going to play a drinking game. A drinking game? I repeated. Celebina swayed in front of me. She smelled like wine. Not the sour smell of someone who had a few too many, 
but like a robust red finally breathing after half a century in a cask. Her presence was more than a little intoxicating. Your little justics said you had questions, and I myself am naturally curious, so how about a little tit for tat? The goddess chortled, her impressive chest rising and falling. All around her, priests filed in and out, arranging platters of food and filling pitchers of wine from the sparkling pool. If you want me to answer one of your questions, your little justix takes a drink. If I need you to answer one of mine, I'll take a drink. And if I'm satisfied with everyone's answers at the end of our little interview, I might just let you go. Sound fair? It's fair. More than fair, I said quickly. Wait, why me? Iris demanded. She had about as much chance of outdrinking the goddess of parties as a grimmer did of becoming vegan, but nobody had a choice here. Ah, 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 Celebina chastised, wagging a coquettish finger. It's my turn for a question. And Demion, how did you manage to sneak your way out of prison, you naughty boy? I called on the right of old justice, I said. Iris sucked in a breath, but I didn't see how we could avoid telling the truth. I knew Celebina. I knew how she worked. She was greedy, excitable. She lived for scandal. We'd need to butter her up if we wanted to get the answers we needed. I've heard of that, Elbada remarked. That explains why no one's turned you in yet, not if the old justice has claim on you. She bent to whisper in Father Liam's ear. It sounds terrible, Celebina said, sounding thrilled. It gave us the chance to look at my case a second time, I said. Reaching down, Celebina grabbed an amphora of wine and downed it all in one long, sensuous pull. With a satisfied sigh, she turned to me. Your turn. We wanted to ask what happened the night of the Golden Gala, I said. That's why we snuck in. We're working a case. The goddess of revels laughed. <laughs> what didn't happen at the Golden Gala? You mean what happened to Argamnos? Elbada said. Well, yeah, I said. Elbada smirked. While her mother verged on being the deity of too much information, by contrast, Elbada kept herself aloof whenever possible. The shadow to her mom's sunshine, a goddess without a temple, and, until this Father Liam guy, without much of a priesthood. She was an outsider by Pantheon standards. The few times I'd tried to chat her up at parties, she'd made it very clear that even a goddess with no cult was miles above a half-breed with mortal blood. It was an attitude she shared with Argamnos. Growing up, he'd never passed up an opportunity to expose my so-called mortal weakness, Never mind that his own mother was just a sylph. <laughs> the ripple of Celebina's laughter shook the walls of the shrine, jostling dust from the ceiling. I'd originally planned the Golden Gala as a simple, informal get-together, just a few hundred people. But after what happened to the little messenger, it wound up as the talk of the Pantheon for weeks. She pointed at Iris. Drink. Iris pursed her lips as an overfull glass of wine was brought before her. I shot her a what-else-can-we-do glance. Stealing herself, she opened her mouth and let the revel priest pour the lot down her throat. She swallowed as best she was able, but some of it dribbled out the sides of her mouth. 
My turn, Celebina said. She proceeded to ask multiple questions in quick succession about how we'd managed to finagle our way into the temple, laughing delightedly and draining a different pitcher of wine with every answer. The more wine she drank, the rosier and riper she became, her form slowly expanding to fill the shrine. Her eyes, however, remained sharp and bright as she examined the two of us. Despite the semblance of a game, she had every advantage here, and we had none. Could you give us comprehensive timeline of the entire night? Iris asked. With her hands cuffed to the chair, she couldn't even wipe the wine off her face. Celebina wrinkled her nose at the Justix's official tone, so I jumped in. Let's start at the beginning. When did our Gamnos arrive? Hmm, I'd say at around 10.30. Does that make sense to you, darling? Elbada nodded. But Diaphrides arrived at 9. Celebina groaned dramatically and stretched like a cat, making her dress of coins jingle. Why am I not surprised? Inviting her is always a gamble. Sometimes her gossip and japes and obvious machinations are good for a laugh. Other times, she's a total buzzkill. There's a difference between socializing and networking. Half the time, she treats my parties like work. People shouldn't work at my parties. She pointed to Iris. Drink. She has a reputation for ass-kissing? I asked. The goddess laughed again. <laughs> Understatement of the millennium. Argamnos' father was far too free with her. Argamnos was a fine lad, and I suppose Diaphrides contributed to that. But she's a sylph. It gave her ideas above her station, and she's been scrabbling to find a way up the ladder ever since. Why did I invite her? Elbada stirred. Because you knew if you invited Argamnos without also inviting her, you'd never hear the end of it. Of course, that's it. I invited the both of them, but Argamnos at least had the good sense to show up after the caterers finished setting up. Drink. Sounds like you really wanted Argamnos at your party, Iris said, her words starting to run together. I invited him personally. He'd been working so hard, flittering hither and yon for all the highest players in the Pantheon. The boy deserved a break. So what happened when... I prompted. Uh-uh, it isn't your turn, Celebina said. What should I ask? Hmm. Oh, yes. How's Tillamon been these days? The question struck me like a blow. Tillamon, the half-sister I'd betrayed to the three mothers for performing human sacrifice. For a few seconds, I felt too shocked to even respond. You don't have to answer that, Iris shouted. Yes, you do, Elbada said. I shifted uncomfortably against my seat. My fuzzy handcuffs itched like nobody's business. I don't know. Nobody told me what her sentence was. Pity. Celebina swiped a pitcher from one of her attendants and dunked it into her own pool. She was always such a rigid stick. Seeing her finally get her comeuppance must have been something. I guess, I said. Telamon had looked out for me more than most others in the Pantheon had, but she'd still been perfectly willing to kill me to keep her proclivities from coming to light. 
Even six months later, the memory twinged like a fresh bruise. Saragamnos arrived at 10.30. What happened next? Iris blurted, bringing it back to the Golden Gala. I shot her a grateful glance, but with her glassy eyes and flushed face, it was hard to tell if her deflection was intentional or not. The dancing started at 11. I do so love a good dance. We fired the cannons at midnight, then the botanical fireworks at 12.30. Botanical fireworks? Iris said. Don't ask, Father Liam muttered. I was nearly brained by a flaming pine cone. Those botanical fireworks were a gift, you visionless prating priest, the revel goddess growled, her eyes clouding into the threatening red of a good cabernet. You'd do well to keep a leash on your priesthood, daughter. Father Liam, to his credit, stood his ground in the face of the goddess's sudden swerve, only backing down when Albada laid a cool hand on his shoulder. There was tension here that we didn't have time to unpack. We needed a distraction. What are botanical fireworks? Why, exploding trees, of course, Celebina said. An anonymous follower of mine engineered my gardens to produce the most colorful and exciting of explosions. Where's the excitement of watching dim little bursts in the sky from miles away when we can experience the sparkle and spontaneity up close? Imagine manicured little garden trees going up like candles. That's worth a poorly aimed pine cone or two. Iris looked blank. Exploding trees. They took out most of my mother's peace garden, Elbada said. Gardens can be replanted, Celebina argued. And the memories of those fireworks will live forever in the memories of my guests. Honestly, Elbada, if you stepped away from those potions and tinctures of yours, you could learn a little something about impressing mortals. She glanced at Iris as she said this. Drink. As Iris guzzled yet another glass of goddess-blessed wine, I suspected our luck wouldn't last past her failing sobriety. And, uh, my little altercation with Argamnos, when did that happen? Don't you remember? Elbada asked. Her eyebrows rose above her sunglasses. You mortals have so little time to begin with, you'd think it'd be easy. Let's get back to the fight, Iris cut in, leaning forward in her chair. I'm less sure on that, Celebina admitted. I was in the midst of a tryst. I think it was around two, three. Elbada, you saw it. Twelve thirty, Elbada said. And you didn't miss much, Justix. And Demion cornered Argamnos when he couldn't get away. It was about ten minutes of name-calling, then thirty seconds of hair-pulling before our priesthoods intervened and pulled them apart. Argamnos hung around for a little while, but then left around one, or at least we thought he had. We found him the next morning down at the docks, where Celebina keeps her pleasure barges. Drink. When a revel priest pushed another cup on Iris, she batted her away with a wild jerk of her chin. That's it? Iris sounded genuinely sad about missing a humiliatingly blank chapter in my history. Anyone else see the fight? Of course. Father Liam said. Several hundred party guests. Drink. Hmm. And would you say Argamnos was cool? Like a cool guy? People liked him? 
Iris asked. Her words slurred together like melting taffy. A small, unexpectedly self-aware smile flittered about Elbada's lips. He was extraordinarily useful. That almost amounts to the same thing. Drink. So who, like, killed him in your, op in your opinion? Three mothers above, slow down with the questioning, I said. Iris slumped forward in her seat. It's not that I don't want to answer, Celebina said. But that's going to be difficult. Hundreds of people come to my parties. I can't keep track of all of them. That's what my daughter's for. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flicker of emotion ripple over Elbada's face. Just for an instant, before it smoothed back into perfection. I'll be happy to provide you with the binders of our extensive guest lists. But we don't have time for that. Iris sounded like she wanted to say something else, but she pinned her lips together instead, gulping awkwardly as her skin turned an ominous shade of green. I think that's our cue to end all this, Celebina said quickly. This was fun, but I have a masquerade to throw in just a few hours' time, and the caterers need to completely rework their menu now that their cake is out of the picture. She gestured to her priests. You can uncuff them now. Elbada stormed to her feet, her priest circling her like a loyal moon. Mother, these are our prisoners. They destroyed your cake. What about their punishment? Punishment? They've saved me an eon's worth of trouble. This whole affair was supposed to honor the anniversary of Gregos winning the Battle of the Silver Scythe, but I mistakenly ordered the cake to represent the War of the Golden Horn. Gregos did not come out well in that skirmish. It would have been terribly awkward if he'd seen that cake. She shrugged. Now I have both a valid excuse not to serve it and a delicious story to tell on top of it all. As soon as she was freed, Iris struggled to her feet. I have more questions. Of course you do. I'm fascinating, but don't fret. The goddess of revels reached deep into her bosom and brought out two shining silver envelopes sealed with green wax. Come to my masquerade this evening. A good masquerade is a proven pick-me-up. I hurried over to support a swaying Iris with one hand while accepting the goddess's invitations with the other. In another time, another life, VIP invitations to a Celebina stunt would have been worth their weight in gold. Priest! Once again, Celebina addressed this to Father Liam. See them out and tell the Justix she'll want to drink a lot of water very soon. Elbada all but stamped her foot. You can't order my priest. It's fine, Father Liam said. He tapped me on the shoulder. If you'll follow me. We followed Father Liam out of the shrine. Me walking, Iris all but staggering. On the way to the exit, we passed hallways decorated with gold filigree and dollar store holiday lights, pantries where the rarest vintages were being decanted, chambers where novices cut silver confetti by hand. And at each junction, Iris stopped and insisted on asking what everything was. It slowed our progress considerably. I'm sorry for this, I said, after Iris insisted on knowing the history of confetti. She's not normally... Father Liam smiled wryly. I've seen it all before, believe me. 
Patience is a virtue in Albada's eyes. Surrounded by the vivid splendor and cheap glitz, Father Liam's undyed robes and shaved head stood out starkly, like a hole burned into a beautiful handkerchief. Can I ask a personal question? I asked. You can ask, Father Liam replied dryly. What made you become a priest of Elbada? Why worship regret? When you're surrounded by all this, I didn't say. Father Liam's lips curved into a slightly edged smile as if he could read my thoughts. You think me a fool. I didn't say that. You're not wrong. But I'm not half the fool I used to be. More specifically, I was a drunk. I threw myself into bottle after bottle until I finally found one with a bottom. I woke up after that night to a pain I'd never experienced, but with it came an awakening to a better truth, and a calling to serve the goddess who bestowed that truth upon me. A mulish expression crossed Iris's face. But aren't you serving? Don't you have to serve Celebina too? Oh, whoa, whoa, I said. But the priest only chuckled softly, as if at a familiar joke he had heard many times over. The relationship between Celebina and Elbada is complicated. And I'm not so arrogant as to pretend that I understand it. But rest assured, everything I do is ultimately at Elbada's bidding. My devotion is solely for her. Iris's brow furrowed as we continued, the alcohol slowing the gears that normally clicked and whirred within her investigative brain. After a moment, her face cleared, and she pointed ahead of us, forgetting her question entirely. And what's that? She pointed at a set of elaborate doors that looked like they were made of solid gold. Scenes of folly, frolic, and debauchery capered across their gleaming surface. Gods and nymphs, and satyrs and humans, their bodies entwined with vines of green copper, their eyes inlaid gems of obsidian and emerald. That is Celebina's tribute chamber. Any and all items left behind during her revels are collected there. Once a year, her priests burn the lot in a special ritual. Like a sort of godly lost and found? She asked. It's more nuanced than that, but... Oh! Father Liam squeaked as Iris bowled forward, stumbling against him to keep from falling to the floor. Sorry, she slurred, but I gotta, I gotta ask, did you poison our gamnos? No. Did you, did you think he was a cool guy then? The priest shrugged. To be honest, I didn't think about him very much at all. Achoo! Iris sneezed violently. She shot a glance at me, a gleam of self-awareness in her eyes, and I remembered she still had her blessed oak tucked into the side of her cheek. I was surprised she hadn't swallowed it by accident. Will that be all? Iris nodded, then gulped, sweat breaking out on her forehead. I don't feel so good. Evidently, the priest's patience didn't extend to getting puked on as he wrenched himself out of her grip like she was on fire. Not on the goddess's marble floors. Don't move. I'll... I'll find something for you. Just hold on. He took off down the hallway, his gray robes flapping behind him. Iris swayed for a moment, then turned to me, a sloppy smile unfurling across her face. She held up a ring of keys, Father Liam's keys. 
Guess what I have. Wait, were you just pretending to be drunk? She shook her head, then stopped, like shaking anything was a bad idea right now. Nope, pretty sure I'm still super drunk. You might have to turn these for me. I took the keys from her, gingerly. Drunk Iris was a bit of a wild card. What are we unlocking? She frowned like the answer was obvious and pointed to Celebina's treasure room. The goddesses. They didn't tell us everything. And Father Liam's lying. Questions aren't enough. We need evidence. And over there is a room full of evidence. Understanding dawned. You want to raid Celebina's lost and found? Yep. If anyone left anything behind at the gala, it'll be there. Got any better ideas? No. But I clearly needed to go drinking with Iris more often. Then let's go. And with that, Iris spun around and vomited all over the spotless marble floors. You're listening to Gods and Lies Season 2 by Elizabeth Fail, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Fail. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.